Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We are going to dive into the Word of God, and as always, we want to start with a time of prayer Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to spend time with you, Lord. We know that you are here. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. We pray for understanding and fresh insight into your word. We pray for softened and receptive hearts. We pray that all across this campus that your word will go forth and not return void, Father. Bless your servants, Lord. Empower your servants. And help us all to serve in your love and in your joy as well. Lord God, I pray for the gift of teaching. And my desire is to decrease and watch you increase and be glorified in and through my life. And during this moment, um, as I get to serve you by uh, sharing your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So Mark chapter 12 um, is where we are. And we are going to cover verses 13 through 17, verses 13 through 17. And the title of tonight's lesson is Jesus and the government, Jesus and the government. So some people, of course, are happy. Some people are sad. Some people are just flat out upset and some are indifferent in regard to the current state of our government. And because of the way they feel, they may act out in different ways. But in regard to a Christian's relationship to the government and its leaders, different folks have their own views. But what we want to do is turn to the word of God and see what principle the Lord Jesus Christ teaches about our relationship as Christians to the government and its leaders. Because at the end of the day, it's not our feelings or what the culture says that matters. It's not how we were brought up that matters. What? Somebody taught us that was not Bible-based. It's based on what Jesus said, based on what is in the Word of God about our relationship as Christians to the government and its leaders. Now, of course, today we had a change in our government leader today, of course, on the 20th of January and of course, I didn't, I didn't plan this lesson based on today. And that's the thing about God. He always gives a timely word. Because whenever the Lord puts a book uh, for me to study and, and share uh, with the saints on my heart, what I do is I read through the whole book. And as I'm reading through the book, I'm asking the Lord, to help me to break it up the way he wants me to. And so this is the way he broke it up. And, it, and I won't say it just so happens. 
because I don't believe in luck. I don't believe it just so happens. But when I consider the times that I've stayed home quarantining with the sun and the vacation time and so forth, and yet and still this lesson falls on this day, it's the God thing. And so I'm not saying that I'm any more special than another believer, but I believe that God loves his people so much that he decided to give a timely word. And so what we want to do is see what Jesus taught about our relationship with the government and its leaders. And so we look at Mark 12, beginning at the 13th verse. Now, keep in mind, this is still Tuesday of Passion Week. And again, uh, this Passion Week is the week in which Christ will go on to suffer and be crucified. So it's still that Tuesday. But in Mark 12, 13, it says, Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. Luke chapter 20, verse 20 says that the Pharisees first watched Jesus. And it says that they sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words or catch him in something that he said. For what purpose? It says in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Matthew twenty-two sixteen, still telling the same story that we're looking at here. It tells us that the Pharisees sent their disciples with the Herodians to Jesus. Now, the Herodians, by the way, were a political group that supported King Herod and his family. And of course, they supported the Romans because the Romans gave the Herods the authority to rule. And so the Herodians were friendly to Roman rule as they ruled over Israel at this time. But the Pharisees, these separated ones who, who lived a separated life from uncleanness and, and maybe a separated life from the general public, they have a different view of things than the Herodians did. Because the Pharisees did not support the Herods, and they opposed, they were against paying taxes to the Romans, and so they opposed Roman rule in Israel. And so you have these two groups who normally wouldn't agree, now agreeing because they have a common enemy in Jesus. And when these Pharisees and the Herodians came to Jesus, they came to catch him in his words. Again, it tells us that in Mark 12, 13, to catch him in his words. And even today, there are people still looking for contradictions in the word of God. Instead of coming to God with an open heart and an open mind to receive truth, they're reading the Bible for contradictions. They're reading the Bible just for information, but they're not reading the Bible with an open and receptive heart and mind, truly seeking the Lord. Because if they truly sought the Lord, 
He's not going to hide himself from them. They're going to find him. And it continues in verse 14. And when they had come, they said to him, teacher, we know that you're true and care about no one. In other words, you don't care about anyone's opinion. For you do not regard the person of men. You don't play favorites. We know that about you, Jesus. But what you do, Jesus, is teach the way of God in truth. And so they asked him the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this Caesar they're talking about is Tiberius. Tiberius Caesar came to the throne after the death of his stepfather, Augustus, in AD 14. He was the emperor. And he ruled this Roman Empire until his death in A.D. 37. And so that means that Tiberius Caesar was the Caesar in place, reigning during the time Jesus was crucified. And so this is the Caesar they're talking about. But let's turn back to what they said about Jesus. We know you're true. We know you Don't care about anyone's opinion. We know that you don't play favorites and you teach the way of God and truth. We know this about you. But if they really believe that he taught the way of God and truth, then why didn't they believe him earlier? Why didn't they believe him in the past when he taught truth? And so what you see here in Mark 12, 14 is something called flattery. And flattery is excessive and insincere praise they're heaping all this praise on them and they don't mean it and they're just way too much they're putting way too much on it and proverbs 29 5 has something to say about that because it says a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet for his neighbor's feet and that happens because the person who is doing the flattering is doing it to further their own interest. And so they're heaping all of this insincere praise on Jesus, trying to set a trap for Jesus with their flattery, thinking it's going to get them where they want to go, which is to catch him in his words, to catch him contradicting something. I like what one Bible teacher said. He says that flattery is the mirror image of gossip. He says, gossip is something we say behind someone's back that we would never say to their face. But flattery is something we would say to someone's face that we would never say behind their back. But as we continue in verse 15, it says, shall we pay or shall we not pay? Again, pay what? Taxes to Caesar, the Roman emperor. But he, that is Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why do you test me? And in fact, Matthew twenty-two eighteen 18 said that he even called them hypocrites. So it sounded like this. Why do you test me, you hypocrites? And a hypocrite is an actor or a stage player. And so that's what they're acting like. You're like an actor. It's not really you. 
Bring me a denarius that I may see it, Jesus said. In verse 16, it says, so they brought it. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. So this denarius that they brought to him was a Roman silver coin that was worth a day's wages, one day's worth of work. And it was used to pay the census or the poll tax during that time to the Roman emperor. And of course, as you can tell from what Jesus said or asked, it was stamped with the image of this Roman emperor. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, the image on the coin was Tiberius Caesar's. So on one side of this coin of this denarius, Around the head of the emperor, it had the inscription, Tiberius Caesar, comma, August, son of the divine Augustus. They saw themselves as gods. And on the reverse side or other side of that coin, that denarius, it had the inscription, Pontifex Maximus, which means high priest. And so that was on both sides of this coin. Then, of course, you had that image of Tiberius Caesar on there. And so we see this trap. We see this trap they're trying to set for Jesus. Because if Jesus were to say, yes, that it was lawful to pay taxes to the Roman emperor, Tiberius Caesar... It would have angered the Jews who hated Roman rule and who hated paying taxes to the Romans. But if Jesus would have said no, then it would have resulted in him being charged with insurrection or revolting against civil authority. And so you see the trap being set here with, of course, their flattery, as it tells us there in in Proverbs 29, 5. He's trying to spread a net for his feet with their flattery. But the scriptures tell us in in Mark 12, 15, that, that Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He knew their hypocrisy. He knew they were acting like a stage player. And Jesus, of course, knows the hypocrisy in us as well. He knows the hypocrisy in us because Jesus, because God, he can see into our hearts. He knows what we really like. He knows that we're just putting on a show on the outside. And for those of you who want to do a quick test to see if you've been a hypocrite lately, I would, I would say to ask your spouse or your kids. Because our spouse and kids are really good at pointing out the hypocrisy in us. But again, the only thing they see is the outside. You know, the kids, they they see mom or dad eating ice cream late at night. But you said, we can't have sweets at night, mom or dad. Oh, they'll point out the hypocrisy. You're doing it, but I can't. Or, Or you let their sibling go out to play, but not me. That's not fair. And sometimes it causes us to reevaluate some of those decisions. And sometimes we have to humble ourselves 
If we find ourselves to be really hypocrites in that situation, we'll need to apologize to them. And so again, they could only see the outside, but Jesus knows the hypocrisy from our hearts, in our hearts. He sees right through us. And by the way, while we're talking about hypocrisy or being hypocritical, it's, it's appropriate for me to point out something about that because people throw that word around so loosely, not really knowing the meaning of it. And the side note I want to share with you is that it is not hypocritical if someone sinned in the past, repented of that sin, and it's not doing that sin anymore, but it's now warning you about the dangers of that same sin. That's not hypocritical. That just means that they admitted they were wrong. They don't see that sin in an approving way anymore. They don't see it as anything good anymore. And, they, and they're sharing what they know now with you because now they know the truth. Now they see how wrong they were. And now they don't want you to make the same mistake. So that is not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you're right now doing something that's sinful, for example, but then you're telling somebody else not to do it. That will be an example of that. And so I felt I needed to share that because it's thrown around so loosely. People like to bring up other people's past, but they don't like the dirt being brought out from their closet. In Mark 12, 17, it says, and, and Jesus answered and said to them, render or pay off what is due. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Whatever belonged to Caesar, the emperor, give it to him. That's what Jesus said. And he says, and to God, the things that are God's. In Luke 20, verse 26, it says, but they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people. They couldn't trap him. And they marveled at him. And Matthew twenty two twenty two says that they left him and went their way. There was nothing else to see here. He stepped right over our trap. We can't say anything. So all they could do was marvel and leave. And so while we're here, we want to do a short study based on Christians and the government and its leaders based on what Jesus says. Render or give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And mind you, it wasn't a fun thing to be ruled or oppressed by the Romans during this time. And so we can't say, oh, that's easy for them to say. We can't say that. And so once again, what we want to do is, is take a look at what Jesus says and, and go from there. And then we're going to complement what he said with other scriptures from the Bible. Because the Holy Spirit is the true author of the scriptures, but of course he used human writers to write down his inspired word. And inspired just means breathe out. He breathed out the word, set aside human writers to write down what he breathed out. That's what they did. And so as we look at these other scriptures that are going to complement what Jesus says, 
We want to we want to discern something about these governing authorities. And so the first thing we want to do is go to Romans chapter 13 and look at verses 1 through 7. We're going to see how it complements render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So Romans 13 verses 1 through 7 it says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance, decree, or commandment of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. The only time I was really afraid of the authorities is when I was doing something bad. <laughs> when I was throwing rocks and avocados and lemons at cars and stuff. I shouldn't have said that. That's, that's recorded now. When I was younger, it's the only time I, I was afraid because I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. And so that's a, that, that applies here. Do you want to be unafraid of the authorities and do what is good and you will have praise from the same. And of course, we want to think big picture. We know that there are exceptions and, and specifics and we'll get to the specifics or what ifs later. But we want to look at the big picture. And the, and the, and the main purpose of these governing authorities that God put in place. So in verse four of. Of, of Romans 13, it says, for he is God's minister or servant to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject or submissive, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for they are God's ministers or servants attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And then we want to look at first Peter chapter two. Verses 13 through 17. So again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, he says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake, whether to king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So it's supposed to work. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty or freedom as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And so now based on what Jesus says in Mark 12, 17 and in Romans 13, 1 through 7, and in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17, we see a little bit about what the scriptures tell us about governing authorities. 
Well, first of all, we see that all authority is from God. He is sovereign. He's sovereign. He has all power in his hand. And so if anybody has authority, it has to come from him. He has to allow it if, if they have it. But of course, in relation to God, in comparison to God, their authority does not match. And then we learn from these scriptures that God appoints the authority. God appoints the authority. You know, in Daniel chapter 2, in response to King Nebuchadnezzar's demand to tell him his dream and its interpretation, Daniel prayed that the Lord will show him the dream and its interpretation. And guess what? The Lord did that. Because King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Babylon at that time, he didn't want people to just give him the interpretation. He wanted them to first tell him the dream because if you can tell him what he dreamt, then he can believe that your interpretation of it is real. And so all of his, his folks and sorcerers or whatever, magicians, whatever these people are called, they were having a hard time that nobody can do this. And so word got out to Daniel that they were killing all of these people who the king would normally rely on to interpret stuff. So Daniel was like, hold on. He got together with his friends. He was like, let, let me pray about this. And again, he prayed about it. The Lord showed him. And so Daniel began to praise God for revealing this secret to him. And as Daniel was praising the Lord for revealing the secret to him, both the dream itself and its interpretation, Daniel says, and he changes the times and the seasons. It says he removes kings and he raises up kings. Goes right in line with what we've read so far. And he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. You know, it wasn't fun for, for the Jews to, to be in Babylon, to be taken out of their land, to be ruled by an oppressor. But yet and still in Daniel's praise, he says he removed kings and raises up kings. He knew that God is sovereign and that's his prerogative. Another scripture I like to point to is, John chapter 19. And what we see in John chapter 19 in context is the day that Jesus will go on to be crucified. So all of this is going on. Been scourged and interrogated and people yelling out crucify him. And then you have Pilate in verse 10 um, after he asked Jesus a question and Jesus didn't answer. Pilate said to Jesus, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered what we've been talking about. In verse 11, he says, you could have no power. You could have no authority at all against me unless it had been given you from above. And so God allowed Pilate to have this authority to be in his position at that time. 
Because God would ultimately still accomplish his purposes. And so it doesn't matter who is in power, who is in authority, God will still and will still accomplish his purposes. But another thing we learned about governing authorities from these scriptures that we read, again, Romans 13, 1 through 7 and 1 Peter chapter 2, is that the authority figure, again, big picture, is God. God's servant for good. They're supposed to uphold what's good. They're supposed to serve the citizens and to keep order in society. We also see that the authority is put in place to punish evil, and it includes capital punishment. God set that up. He set that. He set up capital punishment, by the way, way back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 9, and it continues, as you see here in Romans 13. To uphold the good, to praise the good, and to punish the evil. To keep an orderly society. And so their authority came from God himself, the sovereign God. And so that's a little bit about governing authorities. But what is our responsibility to governing or government leaders? Many of you picked up on that because you're really smart and you're Bible scholars. But I just want to point out, in case anybody missed it, our responsibility to government leaders is to be subject or to submit to governing, to governing authorities. And the reasons for obeying the law of the land for the Lord's sake, out of consideration for the Lord, is that whoever resists the authority or breaks the law will bring judgment on themselves. We'll still, we're still thinking big picture. God's purpose, we're still thinking in general here. We haven't gotten to the specifics yet of the, or the what ifs. You also want to obey the law of the land for the Lord's sake, for consciousness sake. So not just because you don't want to be punished. Not just because you don't want to go to jail, but you obey the law of the land because of consciousness sake. So you can have a clear conscience. Another reason to obey the law of the land is because it's in God's will. First Peter 2.15, we just read it. And then if we do that, obey the law of the land, it will put the ignorance of foolish men to silence because there's people in this country, there's people in this world, in this state, in this city who are looking for reasons to criticize Christians already. And so we don't want to give them a good reason for it, we want their reasons to stay invalid. And so we want to put the ignorance of foolish men to silence. You know, and I like how the scriptures point out to us in 1 Peter 2.16 that, hey, you're free in Christ. Of course, we have liberty, but don't use that liberty. Don't use that freedom we have in Jesus as an excuse, as a vice to do evil. But then there's another responsibility to government leaders. And that's, of course, to give the government what we owe them. Taxes, it says respect, at least respect the office. 
And of course, it says honor in Romans 13, verse 7. But guess what? If, if you're comparing some of the policies and laws with Scripture, and if you're using any type of discernment given to you by the Holy Spirit, it's clear which country and which leaders are not in line with God. It's clear which ones are not in line with what his word says. But there's even a certain responsibility we have even in that situation. And we can find it here in, in, in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So supplications, specific requests, prayers, those are general prayers, intercessions, praying on others' behalf, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And it says, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence or dignity. And so we should be praying for them so they would just, God will put it on their hearts to let us, let us live freely the way God wants us to live. And when we pray for them, for all men, including the leadership of the country or state, it says that it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we want to keep that in mind that, that yes, there's some leaders in this country, in this state, in this city who are not saved and they support evil things. And, and many put evil laws in the place, but we still have, have a responsibility to pray for them. Pray for them to have those spiritual blinders removed. Pray for them and all men to be drawn to Christ. Pray for them to have an opportunity to hear the clear message of the gospel. Pray for them that the Lord would soften their hard hearts. I like what the scriptures tell us in the Old Testament that, that, that the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. And just like rivers of water, he can make it go the way he wants it to go. God will accomplish his purposes. But also we need to pray for those government, government leaders who are saved. That they will continue to let their light shine. That they would not compromise. That they would be a godly influence on their peers in leadership who are not believers at this time. And so we see some general information about governing authorities. And we, we saw something about our responsibility to government leaders. And many people are good with giving the government what is due to them. Many people are good with, with paying taxes and being respectful and so forth. But there are some people, of course, who are not doing so well with this. But the real question is, and I don't know if you picked this up when you were reading back in Mark and in Mark 12, 17, the real question is, are we giving God what is due to him? 
Or as many people good were given the government and the governing authorities was, was due to them. But what about God? The ultimate authority. Are we giving him what is due to him? Because Jesus didn't just stop there and say, only give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, what is due to Caesar. But no, he says, and to God, the things that are God. But the question is, what is due to God? What do we owe God? We owe God, first of all, our very lives. We owe God our bodies. We owe God our praise. We owe God honor. We owe God reverence. Because remember, the scripture says to fear God. Give him reverence. Respect. One Bible teacher says to fear God means to take God seriously. So are we taking God seriously? Are we giving God what is due to him? But why should we give God what is due to him? Well, we should do that because, first of all, he created us. In that very life that we have, of course, he gave it. He gave us the very breath of life. At any moment, he could take that breath away. As it says in Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so he created us. He gave us this very breath. And so that's a reason to give God what is due to him. That's a reason to give him our lives, to live for him. That's a reason to give our bodies to him, to allow our bodies to be used for his glory. It's a reason to praise his holy name because he created us. Of course, In regard to the bodies, it says, because of the mercies of God. When you think about how good God has been to us, how merciful he has been to us, check out Romans 12, 1. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, give your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Allow him to use the bodies that he has given to us Because of his mercies, because of how good he has been to us, because of the very fact that he purchased us with his blood. He didn't just create us, but when we were sold in sin and couldn't pay our way to get out of sin because we're spiritually bankrupt, God himself, God the son, Jesus, became a man. He took upon human flesh and he paid for us, not with silver or gold that perishes, but he paid for us. Out of slavery to sin. So that we won't have to to pay that penalty of sin, which is death. He paid it with his precious blood. We should give him what is due to him. This praise and honor and reverence our our bodies. Because, of course, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Because of his attributes. Because of what attributes? Attributes like his uh, omniscience and his omnipresence, meaning he, when I say he's omnipresent, that means he's everywhere at, at the same time. That doesn't mean we always sense his presence, but he's there. And so God is here, but not everybody experiences his presence relationally. Just like you, have, you can have 
your mate in the house with you, your, your spouse in the house with you, but they're in a different room. And so you know they're there in the house, but you're not experiencing their presence relationally because you're not in the same exact room, but in the same house. With God, he's, he's here, but not everybody experiences him. Not everybody is sensitive to his presence all the time. So praise him. I don't have to ask him to come. He's here. And so I pray, Lord, help us to sense your presence. We should praise him because he has the attribute of being omnipotent. That means being all powerful. He is immutable or unchanging. That doesn't just apply to God the Father. That applies to Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see that? He is God, so he doesn't change. He is holy and righteous and just and good. He is truth. And so there are reasons that we should give him his due, his praise that he deserves, the honor and reverence that he deserves. But I don't know if you missed this. Because Jesus says, hey, whose who's image is on that coin? Whose image is on it? They said Caesar. So Give Caesar what's his. And so there you have another reason for us to give God what is due to him. Because guess guess whose image we bear? We bear God's image. So just like that coin had Caesar's image on it. And Jesus says, you give to Caesar's what's his. But he says to whatever belongs to God, you give to God. Give God what is due to him. And on people is his image. So are we giving him what is due to him? His image is on us. It is marred by sin, but it's not erased. Because even after the flood, God even still acknowledged that that man is made in his image. And so if anybody kills man by man, his blood shall be shed. Again, capital punishment. So even after the flood, that image of God was there, but again, marred because of sin again not erased that image was given at the time of creation and what do we mean that we're made in the image of god well first of all humans have a personality we have intellect we have feelings we have will we can love we can choose humans are able to make moral judgments humans have a conscience a basic sense of right and wrong That's why you can go to another country, not even speak the same language. They probably never even read the Bible, but they still know that murder is is evil. Most people do. Humans are able to have communion with God. On what level? On what plane? On the spiritual plane? Because God, listen, God is spirit. And he says those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so he made man with the spirit But that spirit died when man sinned. And so we need to be born again. So our spirit will be made alive unto God in a relationship with God. Now we need to be born again. And so only humans can have that communion with God on the spiritual level. And so, yes, that image is marred. But as believers right now, through the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. 
as it tells us in Romans chapter 8. And so are we giving to God what belongs to him? It is his image on us. Are we giving him what is due to him? But also, guess what? His inscription is on his people. And we see this in the future. First off, in, in, in Revelation 22.4, we see this in eternity. It says that they shall see his face. And guess what it says? His name shall be in their foreheads. Don't you like how the Antichrist likes to, or, or Satan, likes to take what God created and twist it? Because what's going to happen? I think it's Revelation 13. You won't be able to buy or sell unless you have the mark in your right hand or forehead. Always trying to mimic God or take what's God and twist it. There's even going to be an unholy trinity. Satan, the Antichrist, and then his false prophet. So the false prophet is going to be like a false Holy Spirit. The Antichrist is going to be a false Christ. And then Satan, who always wanted to be God, is like he is a false God. Everything God's created, he wants to twist it and mar it. And so it's important for us to not be ignorant of his devices. But even now, not just in eternity, we are technically, if you allow me to use this word, we are marked by God. Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14, it says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee? The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Remember, he purchased us with his blood and ever, whatever we have coming to us, whatever he promised us, whatever inheritance that we have in Christ, we're going to get that. And, he, and, and what he gave us is his Holy Spirit as a down payment that says, yes, what I promised you, you're going to have it. And so that Holy Spirit so to speak, is our mark because that seal where it says you'll seal with the Holy Spirit was often made of wax and it would have an imprint that belonged to the owner. And so sealing in the ancient world would serve as a legal signature. So symbolically speaking, spiritually speaking, this seal speaks of ownership and security. And so by the Holy Spirit, we are marked as his people. He is our seal. We are secure. We're securing him. Our salvation is secure. And it also shows us that, he, that we belong to him, that he owns us. So in, in giving God what is due to him, it's actually for our benefit. It's actually for our benefit because whenever we surrender whatever belongs to him, to him, what happens is he does something better with it. And so the body, for example, the body that he created and gave us, we may use it for sin. But if we surrender our bodies to him as a living sacrifice, guess what? He does something better with it. And so whenever we give to God what's his, there is improvement. So tonight, I just want to say that if you're a Christian and, and you bear the image of God, again, although marred, and right now you're being conformed to the image of Christ, just want you to remember as I wrap it up that no matter what government 
on this earth that you live in, that you find yourself in. Your, your number one government is the kingdom of God. That is your top priority, your, your top government. You bear his image. You are a citizen of heaven. And if we belong to the kingdom of God, then, then our mindset and our conduct need to be people of the kingdom. It needs to be a kingdom conduct. It needs to be a kingdom mindset. In other words, kingdom of God mindset. Which means that if we have that type of mindset, because we understand that we belong to the kingdom of God first, if we have that mindset, now we know that on this earth, if there's a, and this is where we get to the specific, is there's a political leader or a, a government that commands us to do something that is not right biblically. They command us or put a law in place to do something that contradicts God's word. Our, our king of kings. Then civil disobedience is appropriate. That is biblical. Peter and Paul. Peter and John did this in Acts 4 in regard to the religious leaders because they were preaching in the name of Jesus. They were preaching about the resurrection. Religious leaders told them that, hey, stop it. Stop preaching in this name. But they received the commandment from the Lord to preach, to preach the gospel. And so Peter and John answered them and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge, you decide. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so a government leader, a government can put a law in place that contradicts the word of God. And we can say the same thing. Listen, we, we know what God said about this. And so it's not a question for me whose side to be on. Because I'm a child of the kingdom, I have a kingdom mindset, and I want to do kingdom conduct on this earth. And so I'm going to speak the things which we've seen and heard. I'm going to stand up for the things that are right according to the scripture as the worship team takes the stage. And so that's... New Testament example, but then there's an example of civil disobedience in the Old Testament. More than one, by the way. But I like what's in Daniel 3, and this has been placed upon my heart. Because in Daniel chapter 3, you have this king, Nebuchadnezzar. And I mentioned him earlier in the study. He has set up a golden image at that time in Babylon, and he wanted all the people to fall down and worship it when, when, the, when the music played. And if the people didn't fall down and worship this golden image when the music played, then, then they will be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. The scriptures tell us that Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow down to this golden image. They took part in civil disobedience, in other words. And this is a reminder for us that, that we don't move to the tune of the music in the world. Bro, what do you mean by that? Just, I, I, don't, I, I mean by that is that I don't move to the tune of compromise. I don't move, move to the tune of any of the world's philosophies. 
I'm moved to the tune of the word of God. Because God's image is on me. God's image is on his people and his description is on the people in the church. And so that's the number one kingdom for us. And so what we want to do is what Jesus taught in this lesson. He taught the proper balance. Of course, whatever's due to Caesar's give to Caesar's, whatever belongs to God, give to God. So do we have that proper balance? If not, then we need to. That's what Jesus taught. So in other words, we should live like a citizen of heaven first. And as we live like a citizen of heaven first, then we'll be able to keep the earthly government in its proper place. In other words, we'll be able to be the best citizen possible without, of course, compromising the word of God. You know, it's like, it's like any other thing. If I love God first, then I'll be able to love my neighbor. In other words, if the vertical is taken care of, then the horizontal is going to be good. And as a servant of the Lord who has the privilege of teaching the word of God, the same thing applies vertically. Vertically, if I spend time with the Lord, getting what he wants me to share, then horizontally, the people of God get the benefit. It's the same thing if kingdom-wise, if you... Keep God's kingdom in mind first and live like a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Then your horizontal kingdom on this earth. Like I said, you'll be the best citizen possible without compromising the word of God. But as you leave this place and we compare these kingdoms, remember that the main thing that stands apart that that the kingdom of God has that this world's kingdom don't have is that God's kingdom is eternal. These earthly kingdoms are temporary. And so while we're here, and Jesus has not come back for the church yet, we're still here. We need to be about our father's business and living like kingdom citizens. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for this country that we're in. And we do pray for the new leadership, Lord. We, we pray for Anybody's in leadership, you know, again, whether state, uh, local government, but over the country, if they don't have a personal relationship with you, Lord, that, that's their greatest need. You die for them, too. You love them, too, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would help to soften their hearts. We pray for the saints, Lord, who who may have had struggles, Lord, with having this proper balance between governments, the, your heavenly government and the earthly government, Lord. We, we pray that you will empower us, that you would give us wisdom and discernment, that you'll help us to love you, Lord, with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so this week, Lord, I pray that you would bless and use my brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would keep them safe. And either way, Lord, if somebody is going overboard and depending on government leaders and seeing them as Savior, I pray that you bring them back. 
to where their mind's supposed to be. Someone is on the other end of the spectrum. I pray that you would, again, bring them back to where they're supposed to be, Lord. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Use us, Lord, for your glory. And help us, Lord, to, no matter what happens, to have that overall excitement that we belong to an eternal, eternal kingdom. And help us to be willing, ready, and able by your power to share the gospel effectively and to take somebody with us to heaven or bring somebody with us. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you for your prayers. Continue to look up. Our salvation is nearer today than when we first believe. Amen. Amen. We love you. If you're able to stand, please stand for our last song and let's sing out to the Lord. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.